0: My joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick, hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land, is the Lord not in Zion, is her king not in her, and he notes a quote from God, why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt, I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, so that I might weep day and night the slain of my poor people. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. It's difficult to pick up in the middle of a conversation as we often do in Scripture, O God. Jeremiah seems particularly troubled in this writing has a heaviness to it, and yet within it there is something to be uncovered for us. So our prayer is that you uncover what we need to hear, so that we might go out into this world with new life and a new way, in Christ we pray. Amen. So how are you doing this morning? Fine? Good? I'm fine? That's what you're supposed to say in it when someone comes up to you and says how you're doing. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. And then sometimes you you aren't as convincing when you say it. I'm fine. I'm good. You kind of rattle on and start trying to convince yourself. You know, I'm good. No, it's good. It's, no, it's all right. It's, no, I really am. I'm really... I'm. It's good. It's good. I'm good. It's part of the greeting, right? Of course, if you if you say that you're not fine, the other person's going to kind of try and sneak away because they really don't want to know. I mean, this is just a greeting. I remember in Indianapolis when I worked there for a couple of years, and the senior pastor, he would... He'd come around the corner of the hall, and he'd see you, and he'd he'd say, Well, Andy, how are you? Big, tall presence, you know. And before I could barely say anything, he'd say, Good, good, and he'd just keep going. I've always wondered what would have happened if if he'd say, Well, Andy, how are you? It's the worst day ever. Good, good, just keeps on going, you know. But how are you? And we say we're fine. And It's actually a hard question, this social greeting we have, and and we kind of get awkward at times. We'd say we kind of want to say, let's not talk about me. Let's talk about someone else. How about we do that? That's much easier. Let's talk about that person over there. They look fine, but they're not fine. It's easier to talk about other people. When it comes to ourselves. We don't always know. Sometimes we're the last ones to find out. Fine. Jeremiah is a prophet, right? Which which means that uh, he's going to shoot it straight going to give it to you straight. That's what prophets do. They don't have to wrap everything up in a nice neat bow, make it look all pretty. Just give us the the hard, unvarnished truth. That's what prophets do. And that's what Jeremiah is doing in this chapter. As all prophets do, in their right. They give you the, the hard, unvarnished truth. It all comes before what we read just a moment ago. That's, that's a little bit of a shift that we'll get to in a minute. But before all that, it's a lot of quotes of prophecies, some attributed to Jeremiah, some others that were edited in. But that's the list. It's a running list. God's people had lost sight of God, and so Jeremiah is telling them that. He says things. Quotes God as saying to them, I've listened, but they do not speak honestly. They acted shamefully, yet they were not at all ashamed. You've lost sight of God. But if you were to ask the people of Israel, how are you doing? They'd say, fine. We're fine. No, it's good, it's good, it's we're we're fine, it's good. Yeah, it's good. And it drove Jeremiah crazy. It just drove him nuts. It's not good. Everything is not fine. They were struggling to be honest. Couldn't be honest with God. They, they weren't being honest with themselves. It's not fine. And just when you think Jeremiah is going to go off the rails, I mean, just come down on him hard, right? Just hammer this whole thing. In. It's not good. And, and he does something different. He, he does something unexpected. Turns the spotlight on himself. It's unique. If you're not going to be honest about yourselves, then I'm going to be honest about myself, he basically says. My joy's gone. It's part of our reading. My heart is sick. I'm going to be honest. For the hurt of my people, my I hurt. When's the last time you got really honest like that? When's the last time you sat down with somebody and talked about how you're how you're really doing? How are you doing? In his book, Glenn McDonald, a pastor up in Indiana, he wrote a book called The Disciple-Making Church. And in that book, he got he got honest for a, a little bit. And I remember reading uh, a sharing of his in his own spiritual journey. And he, he talked about the experience of being an upstart pastor in a new church, and he was, he was helping start a new church, and, and that's his example, but it could apply to any one of us at any time in life, right? And he, he says this, he says, I, I was determined to never have to answer to the name Reverend Slacker, because I'm not a slacker. I didn't want to be seen as a slacker, And so I found myself peddling more and more and more and more to meet the growing needs of the church. When I would be at home with my family, I would say to myself, I should be visiting. What kind of pastor am I? And when I would be visiting, I would say to myself, I should be with my family. What kind of father am I? What kind of husband am I? guilt became my constant companion I started fantasizing about running away or, or sleeping for three days straight. What was happening to me, he asks. My, my heart for God and for my family was getting smaller. It all came to a head one night when my wife and I, he says, were arguing And in the middle of it, I looked at her, and he says, I looked at her and said, what happened to the beautiful woman I married? And without skipping a beat, she turned to me and she said, oh, her? She died. You were just too busy to notice. Without realizing it, McDonald had become a little Israel. And it was a turning point in his life. Now, it may sound strange, but when I read that story, it made me think about a conversation I had years ago when I was in high school. And when I, back then, my friend and I, in the summers, we used to mow lawns for extra money. And every now and then, we would get a job that was just too big for the two of us to get done. And, and so we'd, we'd seek help. We'd get help, you know, and. And one of the people we called was Alvin, who was the janitor at uh, the church I grew up in. He mowed lawns on the side, and he said, anytime y'all need help, if I have time, I'm happy to help you. So we would call him. Alvin is one of the hardest workers I've ever met in my entire life. And he, he, without realizing it, he became a mentor to me in so many ways. Just a deep man of faith. Anyway, we, we get this job, right? And we're on this big job. And it takes us all afternoon, even with the three of us. And, and we get to the end of it. We're done. It's the end of the day. And we're sitting there just kind of yapping. And, and my, friend, my friend jumps up and says, Oh my God! I have to go home. I've been promising my mom that I would mow our yard all week. And I've not done it. It looks terrible. And Alvin... Crack just starts laughing. And we look at him and we're like, that's not funny. That means one more yard. What's funny about that? And he looks at us and he says, don't you boys know the lawnmower's yard is always the worst looking one? Now think about that. The lawnmower's yard is always the worst looking one. They spend all their time on everybody else's yard. They never have time for their own. Now you translate that into the Christian life. So much of the Christian life calls upon us to look upon others, to to help others, to listen to others, to worry about others, to do for others, to focus so much of who we are on the things out here that so much perhaps that we never find time. for what's going on in here? Sometimes our spiritual lawns can suffer, we can become little Israels in need of a Savior. Early in my own ministry, I had the privilege with about 25 other pastors, young pastors. We were all I mean, fresh out of seminary, we had the privilege of sitting down in, for a week with Eugene Peterson, who wrote the Message Translation of the Bible and many other books that many of us know and appreciate. Just a small group of us, we got all that time with him. You know, and you can just picture a bunch of young upstarts, you know, full of spit and vinegar and just... Ready. I mean, we're just sitting there in the chute, ready. We're gonna you give us the word and we're gonna go out and take on the world. It was that kind of that kind of energy, just chomping, chomping at the bit. And here we are, and and Peterson's getting ready to talk. Here it comes, you know. We're gonna get this good stuff, we're gonna go. And he looks out at us and and he says to us, he says, In the first ten years of my ministry, the most important thing I learned, here it comes, boy, it's coming, and he said is that spiritual work is slow work. There are no shortcuts. No high-speed connections. No fast track to a life with God. It's slow work. And if you don't pay attention to your own spiritual life, the weeds will find a way of creeping in. How does your lawn look? When's the last time you checked? When's the last time you sat down with somebody you trusted, like a pastor or your small group or a friend that you've had for a long time and talked about how you're really doing? How does it look? Maybe it's time to look at it again. Amen.